0: Community Cats Podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I am your host, Stacy LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we are speaking with Dr. Zeke Seekoff. Dr. Z and his wife Barbara have lived in the Cincinnati area since he graduated from Auburn University School of Veterinary Medicine in 1983. For the The past 33 years, he has used his professional skills to help with a number of different animal welfare organizations, such as rescues, shelters, and feral cat groups. For the past 15 years, working with the Free Store Food Bank and St. Francis Seraph Church, he has coordinated a biannual Pet Health Day to help those pets belonging to the less economically fortunate. Seeing the need for a tighter and more efficient community in the animal welfare organizations that serve the tri-state area, Dr. Z decided to form the United Pet Fund in 2010. Its goals will be to help achieve more public awareness and resource support for the 100-plus smaller to medium-sized groups that promote animal welfare through rescues, shelters, spay-neuter services, and providing health and nutrition to pets of those that can't afford it. By opening the United Pet Fund Resource Center in Blue Ash in 2015, that goal is well on its way to being met. Past honors have included being president of the Cincinnati Veterinary Medical Association, president of the Ohio Animal Health Foundation, and co winner of the 2010 Ohio Veterinary Medical Association Distinguished Service Award. He is the founder and owner of Town Square Animal Clinic in Blue Ash. Dr. Z, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Appreciate you inviting us.
0: Tell me, how did you get started working with animals?
1: Well, when I graduated from Auburn in 1983, I've kind of always had a heart and a mission working with rescues and shelters and in animals in general. But, of course, rescues and shelter are always having a special need. It was just whether you call it religious leaning or whatever, I felt it was my return. It was using my skills. It was not bearing my might. It was using it and using those skills to help people where they're needed.
0: So you just had a a calling. Sometimes people will be like, oh, well, I met Fluffy and Fluffy was the the cat that told me I needed to get involved in this. But it sounds like you just had a feeling that this was the direction that you needed to go in.
1: That is correct. I just felt like I was given this talent, skill sets to use, and I wanted to use it to the best of my abilities. And in working with people who work with homeless dogs and cats, and I've had a special leaning toward feral cats, basically, um, best way to return that.
0: When you first started back in the mid-80s, what was life like for feral cats back then?
1: Well, in the mid-80s, no one really considered it. Feral cats were not anything really talked about. It wasn't really into the 90s where I started working with feral cat groups and discovered they needed more efficient ways to both trap them and then, when I say process them, in spaying, neutering them, tipping the ears, vaccines, and... I've learned through experience there are ways to do it that are less stressful, both for the people and for the animals themselves.
0: And is there a resource that you refer to for developing those processes?
1: Many of them I've developed myself. I mean, you have Alley Cat Allies, you have that type of thing. I worked with some of the local groups, some of the advocates. There was a, a policewoman for University of Cincinnati who really took on the cause and we just, through experimentation, one of the things about veterinarians is we've learned we're, we're sort of the MacGyvers of the medical field. We're not given the full leanings of technology many times, so we have to use what resources we have around us. So we've learned that example for doing gas anesthesia. Some of the older gas anesthesia machines uh, that are used to mask them down work just as well as the newest ones. And from the 50s and 60s, as long as you do a minor ap- adaptation. Your basically your anesthetic chamber can be the same trap they come in. Get, you order it extra large, you go to Uline and order extra large clear plastic bags. And because the older machines operate at a higher percentage of anesthetic, they go down quicker. The cats don't realize all of a sudden they feel sleepy. They get taken out. They wake up. Wow, what happened to me? And people don't have to worry about grabbing them or sticking injections into the rear legs or whatever. And it's both a safety factor and it's best for the animals.
0: So in the in the mid-80s or early 90s, were you doing sort of the Sunday-style mash clinic for feral cats? Or were you just fitting them in as your practice time allowed?
1: I basically allotted... I'm an early morning riser, so I would anytime between seven and eight, we're always, you kind of knew that you had to come in and I was always doing early surgeries every morning. I've done a few of the MASH type of clinics, but basically more of a one-person type of crusade. I will say this for my profession, we're a very giving profession, but sometimes we, in my honest opinion, we could give more if we had to and we don't. And so sometimes I've also taken the task of spreading the education to other, you know, other people. I've taught the courses on how to approach it at the Midwest Veterinary Conference in Columbus, Ohio, and kind of have gone uh, from there.
0: I think it's a really interesting question about how private practice, what's the role of private practice in community cat health? Because, you know, we have a lot of these high volume spay neuter clinics, but I, I still believe that there is a role for private practice to help support the needs of community cats also. I'm, I'm not sure how that fits into their day-to-day operations, but I do feel that there's a place there because, you know, your local veterinarian is your community representative for animal welfare.
1: I agree with you. I think too many times there are misconceptions when you're dealing with people who are basically nonprofit, dealing with people who exist for profit in a business. There, there are some tangents that don't work very well, and they don't understand each other. I think, for example, the rescues and shelters who work with the veterinarians who are full, full profit, not the Bay neuter clinics, and that need to realize that we have to pay our staff. We have to pay for a full blown hospital. We don't have government support allowing us to do that. In doing that, when you work with the local veterinarian, you need to work with their availability. Don't ask for a full paying appointment time schedule. Work with drop-offs. Basically, one of the things I see some groups do a very good job of, but many groups don't, is appreciate what they do for you. If they're giving you a great discount on a service, be it free or 30 to 40 or 50% discount, uh, show them some appreciation. Some of the nonprofits I work with, United Pet Fund, I kind of you know, we do things for them and no one ever hears from them. And anyone who's ever worked with a nonprofit will realize that basically you have to show that appreciation because if you don't, there are too many people out there who are seeking to will your use your services and your funds.
0: Now, the one thing that I find your perspective is incredibly interesting too is I have been very focused, and many groups are very focused on spay and neuter, spay and neuter, spay and neuter. And I do believe that there's a, a basket of items or a toolkit out there for community cat support that goes above and beyond spay and neuter. Can you tell us a little bit about United Pet Fund and, and all the different support activities that, that you hope to have sort of in one place? Well, I
1: appreciate that question. I think it's a very good question. United Pet Fund initiated from a group I worked with and one of the founding members of a a large spay-neuter clinic in Cincinnati called UCAN, United Coalition for Animals. Two of my clients and myself, we helped form it. And my initial goal was to do networking and community work. Their goal was to more or less do spay-neuter. And I was trying to look at it the perspective from the 50,000 feet to look at it and say, What can we do beyond just a spay and neuter? There are more needs beyond that. I eventually got to a point where going to these meetings where veterinarians were bashed because we didn't give away everything and just said, forget about it. I joined, uh, I was president of Ohio Animal Health Foundation. I got somewhat alarmed that From the state associations, they're more interested in continuing education and didn't want to work with the nonprofit arms of things and got criticized when I said veterinarians should give more back to the community. And so I went back to work with United Coalition for Animals and tried to extend that community pet health clinic concept that we did every uh, now doing every fall. And they formed what's called Pets in Need, which is now a very successful lower cost for lower economic strata of the population to help them with their pet health services. The only thing I found out was is I still wanted to always form a community type service that would present to businesses the need for giving back resources. There In Cincinnati, there is a ministry called Matthew 25 Ministries that incorporates and embraces corporate product philanthropy. This is where number of businesses, and Cincinnati is a corporate head of a number of different large corporations, P&G, GE, and Kroger's, where a lot of product goes to waste because of the fact that it's either expired, outdated, wrong model, whatever. They use that corporate thing to get donations, which then go to the Caribbean or Central America concept. But the same thing I was thinking is, why can't there be something for animal rescues and shelters? Well, usually it happens in larger cities, there's one major SPCA or some type of corporation that gets, I will call it delicately, all the blue blood money. And they get all the traction. They get the main person who does the broadcasting. And the problem is that amount-wise, there is anywhere from 100 to 150 smaller mom-and-pop type of rescues and shelters which are feeding on the scraps. And the animals they take care of far outnumber this one large entity. The other part of the entity is every person is confronted in their mailbox with national organizations which have very nice PR dollars spent on flyers and commercials and things. And they do a good job nationally. But again, the small mom and pop operations do not have the ability to spread the money. So I felt there needed to be an organization such as United Pet Fund, which could help get them. So we do have membership. We have 85-plus local animal rescues, shelters, and advocacy groups. I say advocacy groups because we also work with programs like Meals on Wheels. And I found out that the number of senior citizens, I have a soft spot in my heart for them, their animals are their best friends. And in fact, this fall, we're going to try to have a seminar with the local groups trying to convince rescues and shelters to adopt more out to senior citizens and empty the shelters that way with the, with the caveat that basically senior citizens will include their pets in their wills and trusts. So the animals are taken care of once they're passed away. But just as you work with feral cat group, as we know, there's a split in the population. Not everyone loves feral cats. A number of them think of them as nuisances. They walk on cars, they have hoods, they have smell. If they're not neutered, they're smelling. So there's not, and bird lovers don't particularly care for them either. So we need a organization that can educate the public, but at the same time also provide resources for the smaller mom and pop groups. We're currently working with a group in Bracken County, Kentucky, which is near Augusta, where George Clooney's parents live. You may have heard of George Clooney before. (laughs) And they have a lot of feral cat population, but they have a cabin in the area and they have a lot of feral cats there. Well, the neighbors don't care for the smell. 30 to 40 cats there and they had a Channel 12 News made a local newscast report on it, did not present them in a very favorable light. As we know, sometimes news media and newscasts come in give you a real quick pop and all you hear and then basically you're sunk for life. So they're asking for help. And that's difficult because all of a sudden now you have the animal control officer who doesn't like them getting involved. So they, saw, they came to us for help and we're trying to help remedy the situation, even to a point where these people are thinking about retiring to P- Pennsylvania, they may take the cats with them. So one thing can happen is if you have one large organization that will sponsor and help them. I think it'll be very important. That's where we wanted to come in. And we wanted to also to be able to approach businesses and say, hey, P&G, you have bounty paper towels, bounty paper towels are gold are almost as much as uh, working and getting pet food in. Do you mind getting a um, bounty paper towels? Last year, we got five semi loads of bounty paper towels in to distribute to rescues. Some of it went to as far away as Dallas and Chicago. And we're also working with Blue Buffalo which is the home base is in Wilton, Connecticut, very close to where you are. Uh, We work with Hill Science Dive people, and we also work with Rescue Bank, which is based in Houston, Connecticut. That is a network of national network. Use this networking ability to be able to, example, we get food in by the semi-load. We are expecting one tomorrow and one next week. And then we distribute it. We send distribution days. Well, a small mom-and-pop shelter can't do that. We have an 8,500-square-foot warehouse with forklift, loading docks, drive-in door, Office space there, services as a community center, and we want it to help serve everybody. I know it's a long answer, but hopefully it gives uh, that. And with the power, the one thing we talked about veterinarians working together with rescues and shelters businesses, it may sound strange, but they're in the purpose of doing business. They The reason they like United Way is United Way gives them a one stop shopping for helping nonprofit. Mom and Pop Rescue can go to a large business such as PG and say, hey, can we have some paper towels? And p will ask, what's in it for us? I hate yeah. to approach it that way, but there's not much to do. So we're trying to serve somewhat as a united way for these 85 members and present the businesses an attractive alternative. Number one, to get a tax deduction. Number two, get rid of stock they don't need. And number three, we're going to help the animals.
0: So you mentioned, so you've called them members. Is there a fee associated with this model?
1: There is a, a $50 minimal fee type of thing. I'm in the big believer of the philosophy. So you get things for free, you don't value it. And many times to me, it's a minimum. They far get, I mean, if they get a pallet of bounty paper towels, you're talking, you know, $600. I think the $50 just says that you're interested and you're willing to participate. I'm not a firm believer of a person that says, oh, we can't come up with $50. We've had people who volunteer for the shelters and rescues basically who will pay the $50 for them. I mean, we work with ferret groups, we work dog and cat rescues, and as I said before, we also work with some of the meal-on-wheel programs.
0: Do you have any involvement, and in, in one of our earlier episodes, I interviewed uh, Jen Bennett from Positive Pantry in Vermont, and they have a partnership with the Vermont food bank that has the pet food go out with the people food to the local food shelves. Do you uh, have any partnering uh, other than with Meals on Wheels and in that model at all or work at all with the, if there's a Cincinnati food bank or anything in that framework?
1: We do. We basically have a, we work with one of our members is Cincinnati Pet Food Pantry and they they are another, have a recycled doggies is another part of their thing. We just recently in the past month, they acquired, they were able to get, you know, five tons of food from us. Uh, So we do work with that. The Cincinnati, the the free store food bank that we work with, more or less when they were getting scraps in, it was just that scraps. Uh, They were getting torn bags and things along that line here. And so we as much as possible, if we get food in for free, we distribute it for free, too. Blue Buffalo sends us a semi load of food we basically distribute it for free. So the $50 a year to me is a minimal tithe, I would say. And we haven't quite figured out all the business model rules about how to keep, you know, pay the rent payment every month and the insurance, all the things that come with running a business. But we're working on that. We're trying to get the corporate and business people involved in that.
0: You actually are leading into my next question, which is fundraising. You know, there isn't that the bandwagon of grant applications out there for pet food pantries, or at least I, I don't see a long list of potential grant foundations out there for for um, pet food fan pantries or or that kind of support, the support that these smaller and medium sized groups need. How are you fundraising?
1: We have a person that we are advising us. She is a certified financial as far as running for nonprofits, how to raise funds. We more or less have been doing more of a nickel-dime type of thing, small donations, although we do have a generous donor of a person of a large corporation who will remain anonymous. Who I was their veterinarian, took care of their animals, and she, w- she was very generous in giving us some money each year, which gave us the impetus to get started. A lot of it, it truly is working on faith. Um, do I put a decent amount of my own money? Yes. My wife's not here right now, so I can say that. <laughs> I don't think she'll listen to the podcast, so I will go ahead and say that. But, yes, we do have, like all nonprofits, we have that problem. And we need to get the word out about what we're doing. I would like to be able to start, if you've heard of United Way, there is a call arts wave here in Cincinnati, which is the same United Way for the arts community, uh, for those companies that want to give on an annual basis and from their employees' check to continue. I'd love to start a pause wave here. Hmm. And continue the business community that operates and works with animal related businesses to get them to contribute uh, annually. So, if you can do United Way and if you can do uh, Arts Wave, surely there can be a pause wave. And then we can distribute it out and help people out.
0: And now let's take a moment to listen to a few words from our sponsors. Flashlight Tag was fun when you were a kid, but no one wants to play hide and seek with their trap. Find your trap's location quickly and safely, even when you visit it at night, with the Reveal Wild application for Samsung Galaxy, HTC One, Sony, Xperia, and other Android phones. Or go to tinyurl.com forward slash Reveal Wild. So we've talked a lot about the pet food support. What about sort of the wellness resources? You had talked about a biannual pet health day. You are using UCAN as well as your own resources to help get into the community with some wellness support.
1: The wellness support is probably beyond what we do as far as our organization. Uh, UCAN provides a space and neuters and healthy care pet Uh, pets in need is a an offshoot of you can kind of hit a hand in both of those that offers the health support now this unfortunately doesn't extend to the rescues and shelters and they all struggle with that and that's the hard part about it they have to learn how to raise money that's why we do educational seminars too twice a year we have educational seminars on trying to teach them we had just recently we had a kate pullen from the aspca and michael barrett from the aspca who came in and did a seminar on how to get grants, how to file for grants, what grant makers look for. And so we try to educate our members on this is how the proper way to go seeking funds. But as far as the health, unfortunately, that's probably beyond because the thing about it is with technology and what's available out there, sometimes you can spend thousands of dollars on one animal. Then in a triage situation, that's not financially feasible to keep doing that. One organization to do that.
0: It's a challenging conversation for any, any group to have. Quick question. Knowing that you've been in this business for quite a few years and involved with feral cats, what do you think life will be like for a community cat five or 10 years down the line? Whew. Good
1: question. <laughs> Good question. I think it's going to be the same as it is now. I don't think um, many people consider nuisance. Those who love them consider they're part of the environment. And that's why they want to do the Trap TNR. I think if they're given proper homes, in fact, we were given a donation of six semi-loads of a Japanese-style Tomo litter box from the Jurgens Company via Matthew 25. We still have a good portion of them. We try to convert some of the dome litter boxes to homes, but everywhere I approach people about it, I couldn't get anybody I knocked on doors, knocked on doors. No one's taking them, And we were going to give them away free. I felt there would be, you know, with a little bit of work insulation. The problem is a lot of people who deal with feral cats deal in the shadows. You feed them in the early morning when you're not noticed. It's kind of we have to someone bring it out as a common problem. And we have to represent ourselves when the, it is brought up before city council barring and being a nuisance or whatever. We have to step together as a group uh, and band together. Mom and pop can't approach city council and don't have the same sway as a local neighborhood. It says, oh, I don't like these feral cats. So we have to all work together. I don't think we work well together just yet.
0: So we have we have more to do, more collaborating. Oh, and I, And I think we have quite a ways to go with regards to getting a community cat Approaches to community cats, you know, in a habit forming way into our social service programs, into our people programs is really making it an obvious solution to return a cat back to the community after it's been spayed or neutered and ear tipped, making that just an obvious solution rather than the automatic of like, let's rush it to a, a shelter, regardless of what it Private is. If you
1: rush to a shelter, of- you're going to be one of many and it's going to be very difficult to get it adopted. I think a cat can live and survive out in the wild if given the proper feeding and, and as a colony. And everyone knows about colony. If you deal with feral cats, you know about colonies. A properly managed colony that basically is gendered, neutral everywhere across the board can survive for quite well and be part of natural part of the environment just as much as a chipmunk would or anybody, any, a squirrel. We don't worry about cutting them out.
0: So, Dr. Z, if people are interested in finding out more about the United Pet Fund, how would they find you?
1: They can go on the Internet, on our website, on www.unitedpetfund.org. They can also email if they want to and learn more about us at fuse dot net f u s e net this is my first podcast so maybe we'll lead to others here it's kind of a new experience i'm not a millennial and kind of a baby boomer generation but i've learned to embrace technology as you have but you're mere 29 years old so you're in the, you're the latter part of millennial generation here
0: <coughs> oh you're too too kind dr z is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today
1: I think the important thing is, is that all the groups need to work together. I think one of the things I found with United Pet Fund, the more that people work together, share resources, if you come across a blessing that a Uh, company is willing to give you, share them. And I think I'd like to see more United Pet Funds formed across in any large city across the United States.
0: Excellent. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I think that it's a great way to get to know your partners by sharing in the wealth of receiving a a large donation too. Dr. Z, I want to thank you so much for being a guest on my show. And I do hope you'd be willing to come on the show again in the future.
1: Oh, I think it would be love to share some things with you. And thank you for inviting us again.
0: Thanks for listening to the Community Cats Podcast. If you could go to iTunes and review the show, we'd really appreciate it. When you do, take a screenshot of your review, go to communitycatspodcast.com forward slash review and enter your information and we'll send you a t-shirt. While you're there, don't forget to check out all the ways you can support the content you're passionate about. Thanks, everyone.